0: Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Investigators, holy cats, where this journey takes us. We are back today, shimmering beautiful in the mirror ball that is Marilyn Monroe and her arc. And I know we promised we were coming back to Marilyn, but did I mention the everything is connected part? We have taken quite a journey this season and you now know many of the characters in the arc. There are a few more to get to know, though, before we pick back up with Marilyn's storyline next Tuesday. In the meantime, this week, good news for you. It's a double dip of done and done. Today's episode is going to catch a lot of our players up into 1959, 1960. But before we begin today, I see some names, in our spyglass, I want to give some enormous thanks, huge shout-outs to our newest supporters on Patreon.com slash done & done. So grateful for Marita, Terry C., and Doris M. Y'all are amazing. I do have a few more names here I see. Big love to Levi Blue, Vanilla Cat, and XJackieX. Your delightful reviews of Dun & Dun made my day. Please, the three of y'all, send me an email with your addresses and I'll send some stickers your way for being so awesome. Thank you all, investigators, for coming back to listen today and every other way that you support this labor of love. Your kind reviews, telling your friends, your support on Patreon, being here every week. I really am truly, truly grateful for this community. So much love. Y'all are amazing. It is now time to travel back a bit. And just get a baseline on all of our characters in the investigation and meet a few new ones, too. Let's investigate. All right, 1959. What's everybody doing? Let's go ahead and talk about the star of this arc, Marilyn Monroe. Where is she in 1959? Still married to Arthur Miller? About three years into that marriage as well, and it's not going so great. Remember that Marilyn and Arthur meet all the way back in 1951? The day they meet, Marilyn will write in her diary, Met a Man Tonight. It was bam. It was like running into a tree. You know, like a cool drink when you've had a fever. Marilyn and Arthur had been writing letters to each other since about 1953, same year that Arthur Miller will release The Crucible. 1953 also finds Arthur Miller still married to his first wife, but sure enough, by 1956, just 17 days after the divorce from wife number one comes through, it is Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe getting hitched at the Connecticut farm where the press will refer to them as the egghead and the hourglass. I'm pretty certain the shine is off pretty quickly and maybe Arthur Miller, in my opinion, is a pretty big fat egghead from the beginning as Marilyn Monroe will see his diary entries in 1956 where Arthur Miller is writing about her, how fragile she is, how needy she is, how she is not at all the woman he thought he was getting. He pours, Arthur Miller does, all of his disappointment down into his diary about his new bride, and she reads it all. I can't say that is an auspicious start to a happy marriage. Remember, Marilyn and Arthur have taken a European honeymoon, mostly for the purposes of filming The Prince and the Showgirl with Laurence Olivier, but besides the diary reveal, let's hope the couple had a little fun. After their honeymoon and the filming, Arthur and Marilyn are back to Roxbury, Connecticut, in a home just a few miles away from Arthur Miller's first wife and his children. Marilyn in Roxbury will feel a little bit out of place, but wowza, she's trying. She's really, really trying, and she will continue to try for the next few years. By the end of 1959, Marilyn Monroe is ramping up, for her next movie project, Let's Make Love, which is where we will pick her arc back up next Tuesday. What's our man Nick doing? Our man Dominic and his family have, in 1959, moved into the Walden Drive home. Nick and Lenny welcome their daughter, Dominique, in November of 1959, and Nick now is in the planning stages. He is lining up his Adventure at Paramount, which is going to happen in short order when he is the producer of James A. Michener's Adventures in Paradise, starring Gardner McKay. Take me on the leaky tiki with you. Goodness, Gardner McKay is so easy on the eyes. That particular story lives all the way back in episode five of the *Done & Done* podcast, if you want to catch up on that bit. 1959, I want to bring in one really important historical marker that may not seem like it sounds important, but it's going to put a lot of other card shuffling into play. In January 1959, this is the month in the year that Fidel Castro will shut down gambling in Cuba. Shutting down the casinos in Cuba is essentially going to start the gang war that will occur in the background between Fidel Castro the mafia, the CIA, the FBI, and both the Eisenhower and Kennedy administrations over the next few years. One other thing that happens in the year of 1959, I want to remind everybody about our private investigator, Fred Otosh. Fred Otosh, we talked about him many episodes ago in the very beginning part of this and his connection to Peter Lawford. Fred had last assisted Peter back in the earlier 1950s, getting out of a little bit of a sticky situation. But in 1959, Fred Otosh will get another call from Peter looking to have the phones at his home bugged. Well, not bugged exactly. Peter's calling to borrow Fred's bugging equipment, wanting to bug the telephone lines at Peter Lawford and Patricia Kennedy's beach cottage in Santa Monica. A little bit interesting here, at this point, Fred Otosh assumes that Patricia Kennedy is cheating on Peter Lawford, and Fred doesn't ask too many questions. Fred will help Peter out, but I want you to put a pin in this. The very next year, Fred Otosh is getting other requests from not Peter Lawford to go back in and bug Patricia and Peter's beach house as well. He is doing this, as it's said, for other interested parties. Maybe some of these other interested parties are looking for the goods on Jack Kennedy to harm or influence his presidential run. But I want you to know from 1959 through Marilyn's death, there is a whole lot of bugging and eavesdropping going on, shady things happening everywhere. Let's go ahead and talk about Kennedy Corner in 1959. What's happening? As mentioned, Jack Kennedy is ramping up for his run for the Oval Office. His sister, Patricia Kennedy, and Peter Lawford, brother in law, are hosting and facilitating the West Coast part of his presidential planning run with some pretty key players, including Frank Sinatra. Remember, Peter and Pat have had that beach home for years. Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy. The family have all been using it for years, sometimes with more pure purposes, sometimes not. Jack Kennedy has all kinds of purposes at the beach house, including numerous affairs, along with some fundraising for important donors and parties and the like. But come on, if we're going to be honest about it, Peter Lawford truly is working in the role of purveyor of women for Jack. Peter's bringing in the ladies including Marilyn Monroe. Now, we've talked about the relationship between Peter Lawford and Frank Sinatra. By this point, 1959 friends, Frank Sinatra has fully integrated himself into this set. He is there every Saturday night at the weekly beach party. Frank Sinatra will become very involved in Jack Kennedy's campaign. Might be worth a mention here that Peter Lawford is not the only one that is supplying the honey, so to speak, to his brother in law, Jack Kennedy. So is Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is going to supply one particular lady. This one's name is Judith Campbell. An FBI memo will identify Judith Campbell as working for Jerry Lewis Productions in a public relations capacity at this point, but there is so much more to the story of Judith Campbell. What I want you to know now is that Frank and Judith Campbell meet. Frank will introduce Judith Campbell to John Kennedy. Their affair will begin the following month. Two days later, Judith Campbell is hopping down to the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami to see the Rat Pack perform. Lined up against this, Frank Sinatra is also doing a television special to welcome Elvis Presley back from the Army. From this auspicious connection, Judith Campbell, Frank, Jack, Judith Campbell will in turn at the Fountain Blue meet Sam Giancana, infamous gangster, mobster, one of the infamous leaders of the American Mafia, Sam Giancana was. Sam Giancana will helpfully pay Judith Campbell's hotel bill, which... Judith learns when she checks out. So around Jack, you have Peter and you have Frank Sinatra getting a lot of attention from all kinds of folks. We've mentioned the FBI. The FBI at this time, 1959, thinks that Frank Sinatra is using Peter Lawford for the behalf of the influence for the mob, which, come on, could be true. Oh, my James Spada will write in The Man Who Knew the Secrets, Frank Sinatra always wanted to be close to power. He let Peter back into his circle in order to be close to the President of the United States, and that's exactly what happened. Spada will continue to say about Peter Lawford, he didn't have much sense of himself. His sense of self was derived from being around famous, important people, so that left him vulnerable to being used by famous people like Sinatra, like JFK, and the movie stars he was involved with. It's kind of an interesting contrast there. By March of 1960, there is a memo that has gone to J. Edgar Hoover, which clearly states that Peter Lawford has been cultivated by Frank Sinatra for the purposes of bad, bad things. They are close associates. Now, remember, Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford do own a restaurant together, Puccini. They are making a legion of films together, the Rat Pack Enterprise. They are starring on stage together every night. Additionally, Peter Lawford also owns one half of 1% interest in the Sands Hotel. Sands Hotel, owned by gangsters. Now, does the FBI have to sneak around too hard to find this information out? Not really. Jack Kennedy's having a great time, hanging out with his brother-in-law, Peter and Frank Sinatra at the Sands. Dean Martin is announcing Jack Kennedy at Rat Pack shows. The FBI will report that Jack Kennedy is with a flight attendant from Baltimore on his particular Rat Pack weekend, but now Judith Campbell and Sam Giancana are seeing each other, which will become very sticky When we get into the time frame where the Eisenhower administration begins working on a plan to invade Cuba and overthrow Fidel Castro, the mafia, again, wants Fidel out of the way in order to bring back gambling. The nationalization of the casinos cut the mob out. Mob's not happy. Eisenhower administration isn't happy either. By the summer of 1960, now the CIA is in full effect working on a Fidel Castro assassination plan as well. The CIA looks to recruit no less than Robert Mayhew. Robert Mayhew is an assistant to, believe it or not, Howard Hughes. The CIA reaches out to Robert to organize a hit. They give him $150,000 to organize a hit on Fidel Castro. Robert Mayhew, assistant to Howard Hughes, is going to reach out to his friend and gangster, Johnny Roselli, Johnny Roselli's girlfriend at the time said that Johnny Roselli would have done the duty for free as a patriotic measure, again, doing the duty and killing Fidel Castro. Johnny Roselli, I want to give him a little bit of an entry into the story because he will be coming into play in full effect. Another player too here, her name is Jeannie Carmen. One is related to the other and it does interweave into our story. Jeannie Carmen, she's a lady who knows all of these folks. She's known as the queen of B-movies. She's a friend of Marilyn Monroe, sometimes a roommate as well. Jeannie and Marilyn meet at the actor's studio in the 1950s, and her story is simply fascinating. I want to fill you in on the larger bits here. As Jeannie Carmen is often interviewed, often quoted about her friend Marilyn And she's also a terrific example of pulling so many characters together. We see this a lot in the hidden women of the story we're telling. Marilyn, Jeannie Carmen, Gloria Romanoff, Audrey Wilder, Patricia Kennedy. All of these women have a lot to say about everything that is going down. And oh, goodness, Jeannie Carmen's a good one. Jeannie is from Arkansas. Born there, but bails at a pretty tender age. She's out of Arkansas at 13. She'll hitchhike her way to St. Louis, then it's off to New York City. Jeannie will land in a Broadway show. She does some modeling. She meets a golf pro, falls in love, and will end up becoming, believe it or not, a professional trick golfer. So here's a lady doing all these incredible shots. She's a super big deal on the fairways at that time, paying the bills. And right, her general good looks don't hurt anything either. Now, there is one night that Jeannie Carmen and her golf pro husband are in a rager of a fight. Along comes cruising down the road in his fancy car, Johnny Roselli, mobster. Essentially, Johnny Roselli is the guy who handled Los Angeles and Hollywood for the mob throughout the 30s, 40s, 50s. By the 50s, he is in full effect over in Las Vegas. Johnny Roselli sees the scene going down and offers Jeannie Carmen a ride. Jeannie hops in his car and it is off to Las Vegas. She and Johnny, she's going to do some more trick shots for Cash. She's got a new boyfriend. Jeannie Carmen is also going to be the longtime girlfriend on and off of Frank Sinatra. This is in the early 1950s. Jeannie will say that... Frank is always reminded of Ava. There's something about Ava Gardner that Frank likes in Genie. This is when the full-on Burning Torch song was going on for Frank and his breakup with Ava. Genie Carmen, though, not just limited to Johnny Roselli or Frank Sinatra. Genie Carmen will date Elvis. She'll date Errol Flynn. She will drink a lot with Clark Gable, and Clark Gable really likes to take Jeannie fishing too. Jeannie Carmen will meet Peter Lawford and Patricia Kennedy through Frank Sinatra. This is also how she will meet the Kennedy brothers, does an awful lot of partying over on the West Coast with all of these players. Again, Jeannie Carmen is sourced so often, I wanted you to be familiar with her name as we went along in the story. I want to go ahead and pull back up Johnny Roselli here, a little bit about him. He's a definite gangster. Again, his first few decades are mob-related things in Los Angeles, pretty big there. By the 1950s, Johnny Roselli is playing big in Las Vegas. Johnny's the guy who does the skimming for the mob in Las Vegas casinos. Bringing us back around here, remember Johnny Roselli's like, I'll kill Castro for free. This is only one of the plans (laughs) to attempt to assassinate Fidel Castro, but holy cats, by October 1960, Johnny Roselli has aligned with Sam Giancana, as well as the Miami mafia boss, Santo Traficante to recruit Cubans for the gig of killing Fidel Castro. There's a box of poison cigars. There's all kinds of spy games and stuff here. There are a lot of attempts to take down Castro, both inside the United States government, as well as a little sprinkling from the help of the mafia on the side. All of it's going on. Everyone's got an angle. Everyone's got a side. And sometimes people get stuck in the middle of it all. One of those ladies is Marilyn Monroe. Another one of those ladies, Judith Campbell. Judith Campbell Exner really is a key component in this story. Although she is largely uncovered, I think in the real and true ways that she becomes a pawn in all of the scheming and manipulation by all the powerful men around her. The thread, the feeling, the theme is very similar to Marilyn Monroe in that respect. We have introduced Judith Campbell today in just a very, very tiny way, but her whole profile, tip to toe, is coming for you next in our double dip of done and done this week. Always a good idea to follow the podcast and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. Judith Campbell is coming your way this week with a mystery drop. Not sure what day it's going to happen, but do stay tuned. It will happen this week. If you need more investigation in the meantime, be sure to check out patreon.com slash done and done. There are bonus episodes over there that connect to it all. We dropped one earlier this week, even on Frank Sinatra and his Palm Springs home that connected to so much of it all. It really all does connect, even though it may not be linear. Every single one of you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening today and being part of the Done and Done community here. Sending enormous good to all of you. And until we meet again sometime later this week for the story of Judith Campbell, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com